Life is like riding a bicycle. To keep your balance, you have to keep moving forward. Albert Einstein said those words. He's not the only person who's tried to capture what life is like in a pithy quote. <clears throat> Many people have tried. Jim Davis, he said this. He said, life is like a hot bath. It feels good while you're in it, but the longer you stay, the more wrinkled you get. Aaron McCarthy said this. This is my favorite. Life is like waiting in line at the grocery store. You wait, you slowly move forward, you pay the price, and then you exit unsatisfied and broke. <laughs> you know, um, you can describe life in, in many different ways, and many different people have, right? Let me ask you today, what is the Christian life like? In other words, if you had to finish this sentence, how would you finish it? The Christian life is like blank. What would you say? You know, some might say the Christian life is like a great adventure, channeling our inner Stephen Curtis Chapman. For those of you who grew up in the 90s, you can still hear Stephen Curtis Chapman singing, this is the great adventure. I chose to say it, not sing it for you. Sorry to disappoint you. Some of us would say, no, 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 no. The Christian life is like walking on sunshine. That once God's in your life, everything's great. It's just butterflies and rainbows, right? Some of us would say, no, no, no. The, the, the Christian life is like a race. I mean, after all, that's the imagery that Paul used in the New Testament, right? The Christian life is like a race. I want to give you an image to consider this morning as the answer to this question. What is the Christian life like? The Christian life is like being in a tiny boat in the middle of a storm. The Christian life is like being in a boat in the middle of a storm. Because of the two stories in the Gospels where the disciples are on a boat in a storm-tossed sea... Early Christian artists, they depicted the church as being a tiny boat in the middle of a storm. Folks like Tertullian in 200 AD, he said this. He said, this is what the church is like. It's like a boat getting tossed around by the waves. Things are, are crazy. They're unpredictable. We're afraid as Christians, the church, we're afraid. Jesus is with us, but it's not like everything is all calm and tranquil. The Christian life is like being in a boat in the middle of a storm. Now, I don't know about you, but this feels true to me. As, as much as I would prefer for the Christian life to be like walking on permanent sunshine with just beauty everywhere. I mean, for me, it feels a lot more like this. That things are stressful, unpredictable, that I feel fear and anxiety. And Jesus is with me. I believe that. But I'm still afraid. And it seems like by the time I get through one storm, there's another one on the corner, around the corner. Do any of you ever feel that way. You know, Jesus, 
is not surprised that life is like this for us. In fact, he told us it would be this way. In the Upper Room Discourse, Jesus, before his crucifixion, he said, in this world, you will have permanent sunshine, butterflies, and rainbows. No, he did not. He said, in this world, you will have trouble, right? Pressure, hardship, affliction. Jesus says, it's a guarantee. You can count on it. But, but he said, you will have trouble, but take heart, for I have overcome the world. So life in this world for you, for me, it's a life of trouble. It's a life of storms. And I would guess that every person today in the room and online that, that you resonate on some level with this image. I mean, maybe you're not in a storm right now, but there have been many moments in your life where you have been, and so you say, yeah, I resonate. Some, some of you right now, you, you found yourself over the past six months sliding into a depression or a struggle with anxiety, and you're not even sure exactly where it's come from, but you find your, yourself feeling simultaneously overwhelmed by life and sapped of energy at the same time. You're in a storm. You know, some of you have been through a really messy relational fracture. Maybe it was a family member that's really hard to love, and you've hung in there and persevered, but they've rejected you, and you're on the other side of this relational break, this distance, and you, you're aching inside, but you can't do anything to fix it. And so you're in a storm. Others of you, maybe your business, you know, you've weathered the last two years really well, You've hung in there, but now the market's changing and inflation's rising, and you just have this growing knot in your stomach. Your blood pressure's rising because you see the storm around the corner. The Christian life, even life with God, is a life of storms. Now, if, if that's the case, if that's true, if this is what our experience is like and will be like, what does it look like? to navigate the storms well. In other words, how do we live well? What does faith in God, what does our faith in Christ mean for us in the boat in the middle of the storm? Is God with us? And if he's with us, and what does that mean? How do we respond? How do you respond today where you are in the storm you're in? How do you live well? If you have your Bible, let me invite you to turn to Matthew chapter 14. Matthew chapter 14. Uh, Jesus, for a little context, he has just fed the 5,000. Some scholars believe it was more like 20,000 people because 5,000 was probably just the men. And so, you know, for the disciples who are with Jesus, this had to have been a high point for them. I mean, think about their experience so far. This had to have been a mountaintop experience. Jesus has just fed all these people. I mean, not only was this experience for them incredible, they got to see Jesus do this miracle, but also all of these people are learning about how big of a deal Jesus is. I mean, for the disciples, many of them probably thought, yes, finally, we've got some momentum. This whole Jesus movement, it's picking up. And then, as Jesus often does, he does something Totally unexpected. I want you to look with me at verse 22 in Matthew 14. It says, Immediately Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. Now this, this word made 
It's an unusually strong word. It's Jesus constrained them to leave. He, he compelled them. They didn't want to go. I mean, it's like my kids when it's like, it's time to leave Chuck E. Cheese, you know. They would say, my dad made me leave. I didn't want to. That's the idea here. Now, why did they want to stay? Why is Jesus having to push so hard to make them leave? Well, some believe it's because the crowds, after the feeding of the 5,000, were trying to make Jesus king. John 6 tells us this. And so maybe the disciples are saying, yes, Jesus should be the king. And, and Jesus says, no, no, no. He's, and he knows that they're going to resist him turning the crowds away. So he says, get on a boat and get out of here. Now, that may be true, but I think there's another reason why Jesus puts them on this boat. And we're going to see it in our story. Verse 23, after he had dismissed them, he, Jesus, went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. Later that night, he was there alone, and the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. So Jesus is up on the mountain having a, a quiet time. The disciples are in the middle of the lake. We know from other accounts in the Gospels, he, the, the disciples were probably three and a half miles out into the sea of Galilee, and they are in a storm. This word buffeted, their, wind, their boat was buffeted by the waves. It literally means to be distressed or tormented. You know, the, the Sea of Galilee was 700 feet below sea level, and then 30 miles to the north, you had Mount Hermon, which Mount Hermon was over 9,000 feet high. So you have often this environment where the cold air from the mountains is mixing with the warm air from the sea, and so it produced storms. Now, as sailors and fishermen, which several of these guys were, they would have been used to storms. But this storm had to have been intense because when Mark describes the scene, he says that they were straining at the oars. These disciples are out in the middle of the lake, and they can't go anywhere. And we know by the timing that they'd been out there for seven to eight hours. Okay. And then the unthinkable happens. Verse 25, it says, Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them, walking on the lake. Now, this is obviously remarkable. It's a miracle. Jesus walks on the water in the middle of a storm out to them. But what I want you to see here is that Jesus went out to them. In other words, Jesus knew exactly where they were. We know from what the language is here in Scripture that this happened shortly before dawn. Other translations say during the fourth watch of the night which means this happened between 3 and 6 a.m., okay? There are no city lights. I mean, it, was it had to have been completely dark. And yet Jesus went straight towards them because he knew where they were. Do you, did you, do you know, listen, we think about our own storms. Do you know today that Jesus knows exactly where you are? in the storm. He didn't have to look. He went to them. And I wonder, I don't know this to be true, but I wonder if the disciples felt like Jesus forgot about them. 
There's times where I feel forgotten about. I mean, you know, they've been out on the water seven to eight hours. They, they're exhausted. They're sleep-deprived. They're wet. The wind has been whipping against their faces all night. I wonder, did they feel like, gosh, Jesus has forgotten about us? But Jesus never forgot. He knew exactly where they were. It's like finding a needle in a haystack, and yet he went straight to them. And, and, and so for us today, as we think about our own storms, listen, Jesus, he knows your storm, and he knows where you are. In fact, there is no storm where he cannot find you. We keep moving. What does Jesus do when he gets out there? The disciples, they saw him walking on the lake, and they said, yes, it's Jesus. No, they said, the, the text says they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and they cried out in fear. Now, why do they think that Jesus is a ghost here? It's not like he put on a ghost costume. Why do they not recognize him? They don't recognize him because they were not expecting him to come. You see, Jesus, he came in a totally unexpected way. They weren't looking for him. And often for us, in our storms, Jesus comes in a way that we don't expect. Now, what does Jesus say? It says, verse 27, Jesus immediately, he said to them, take courage, it is I. Don't be afraid. Jesus shows up in the middle of a storm, take courage, it is I. Now, why are the disciples to take courage? I just find this fascinating. Jesus does not say, take courage, for I have seen the weather report. And this will only last for 90 more minutes, and then according to the radar, it's going to pass by. He didn't say that. Jesus, what does he say? Take courage, it is I. Storm is still raging, but I'm here. Listen, what do you need to hear most from God when you're in a storm? Some, some of you, right now, what, what do you need to hear most from God? It's not that your circumstances are changing. It's not even God's mysterious providence and how he's going to order all of this and work it out for good. It's, it's that God is with you. That is what you need to hear. Now, some of you today, you're saying, Matt, I'm pretty sure what I need in my storm is an update on my circumstances, how they're going to change, etc." That's not true. Because even if you knew, even if your circumstances changed, listen, if you're not convinced God's with you, it doesn't matter because another storm's coming. What you need, what, what I need most is to know that God is with us. Jesus, he says, take courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. Lord, Peter, he responds, I love Peter. He says, if it's you, tell me to come to you on the water. Now, I just think this is fascinating. I put myself in Peter's sandals, and I think, why on earth would, would my first instinct be to go to Jesus? I, th I think for me, it would be, Jesus, come to me. Peter, he, he says, let me go to Jesus. And then, and then Jesus, he takes him up. He says, come. Come. Now, some... Scholars, they note that the verb tense of this word, that 
It's an aorist ingressive, which means start to come, which I love this idea. In other words, Jesus, he's saying, Peter, start to come toward, take the next step. Just take the next step toward me. And that's what Jesus says to us, isn't it? You don't have to boil the whole ocean. You don't have to know the whole path. Just take the next step toward me. And then Peter, he does the humanly impossible. It says, then Peter got down out of the boat. He walked on the water and came toward Jesus. But when he saw the wind, which is a euphemism for seeing the storm, when he saw it, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Now, it's very easy when we read stories like this to Peter bash. You know, Peter bashing is great sport in the church because Peter gives us so much ammunition, right? I mean, he's always putting his foot in his mouth. But none of the other disciples even moved, right? It's amazing. Peter, I mean, as far as we know, he and Jesus are the only people who've ever walked on water. And he does it because of his faith in Christ, but when, when, when Peter, he takes his eyes off Jesus, he sinks. I found myself thinking this week, man, am I glad this story, this is in here. I mean, aren't you glad that we have details like this that Peter doubted he began to sink? I'm so thankful that the Bible, I'm so glad the Bible is not full uh, of super Christians who never struggle, who never doubt, because I, I doubt, I struggle. I mean, I'm struggling right now to trust in God. And it's so comforting, isn't it? That these are the types of people we see in Scripture. There's always a mixture of faith and, and doubt, just like us. And so, you know, Peter, he, 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 he struggles, he, he doubts, and then he begins to sink. How does Jesus respond? Look at the next verse. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. Now, the language here, it paints the picture that Jesus, was he far away from Peter? No, he was close, close enough to grab him. Now, Jesus could have made the water hold Peter up, right? He could have said no, and the the water would push him back up to the surface. Jesus grabbed him. Why? What does that tell us about Jesus? That he personally reached out and grabbed. I think it's such a powerful picture that in Peter's weakness, Jesus loans him his strength. It's like, Peter, I've got you. That's exactly what Jesus does with us in our storms. He bears with our weakness and he offers his strength. How beautiful is that? You see that, you know, for some of us today, and and maybe in your storm, you're discouraged. One of the things that that I see in this text is our ability to get through the storm is not based on our performance, but on Jesus' presence. You see, Peter, it's not like if he, you know, he doubted, therefore, he didn't get through the storm. Jesus was going to get him through the storm. How amazing is that? For us. And then, and then Jesus, he speaks. He says, you of little faith, why did you doubt? This, this phrase, you of little faith, it's, it's used three times in this gospel. And every time, it's when the disciples doubt God's ability to take care 
of them. That's what he was doubting. Jesus' ability to take care of Peter and to, to help him with the next step. Now, one of the commentaries that I read, it, it notes that this word doubt, it literally means divided in two. That's the, the root of the word, which is a powerful image to think about. That, that Peter, he's out, he's walking on the water, and his focus becomes divided. I mean, he's still seeing Jesus, and it's like, wow, Jesus is there, but he's also like, whoa, these waves are intense and this wind and Jesus is, is what, what he's doing here by saying, why did you doubt? He's not, he's not condemning Peter. He's trying to teach him. He's trying to build his faith. He's saying to Peter, and God's saying to us today, you can keep your eyes on Jesus in the midst of the waves. You have little faith. Why did you doubt? Jesus says, you can trust me. And then when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down immediately. So they get into the boat, and, and not before. But at that moment, the wind died down. Literally, it says the wind grew weary. And just think about the control, the power of Jesus. He steps into the boat, and then the wind dies. The water becomes flat and calm. I remember one of our first dates, I took Katie on. We were working at Pine Cove uh, Summer Camp in Texas, and... That summer, I was teaching sailing at the high school camp. We had these big catamarans. And so, you know, I used my connections, and I said, hey, on our off time, can I take one of the catamarans out? And some, for some reason, they said, sure, you know. And, and so I, I took Katie out on a Sunday morning. I got breakfast. We went to the, and I, it was perfect. It was like I had this breakfast, and we went out on the boat, and I was envisioning this, you know, perfect experience that the, the wind's gently blowing in her hair and she's eating that breakfast burrito and she's like, you're just wonderful, Matt. This is just amazing. And it, it was a pretty good experience until the wind died completely. And so we're out there and then literally the, the, the last half hour of our, of our day was me in the water swimming and trying to get my feet on the bottom to push the, the boat back to the shore, right? which in the end makes it more memorable and endearing. But, but I'm telling you, literally in that moment, it's, I mean, you got to imagine me, I'm, I, I'm trying so bad to impress this girl, and I cannot get the wind to do what I want. I mean, I'm so clearly not in control. Right? Contrast that with the power of Jesus that literally, at the exact moment that he wants the wind to stop, it, it does. You know, earlier in the, the Gospel of Matthew chapter 8, Jesus, he calms the stormy sea, and, and the disciples, they're, they're in the boat with him. And it's amazing in, in that text that Jesus, what he says is he says, quiet, be still to the wind and to the waves. And again, the wind dies, the water becomes flat. Now, that's how you talk to a child, right? Quiet, be still. And that's how Jesus talks to a hurricane. Quiet. Be still. And it says in that text that the disciples are more terrified after Jesus calms the storm than before. Why? Because they became so aware in that moment that he was not like them. That he was God. They were in the boat 
with God. Now, in our text, when Jesus shows up, this just struck me. He says, take courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. Right? That's what Jesus says. Jesus literally says, take courage. I am. It's the Greek words, ego eimi. Now, our translators, most of them in English, they don't translate it that way because that would be weird. To, I mean, if you came out after the service and talked to me and said, hey, we're the Smith family, and I said, I am, you know, that'd be very weird. You might not ever come to church here again. So, you know, many people, they translate this as it is I, but that's not what he says. He says, I am. And that's exactly what God says to Moses in the Old Testament, the burning bush, says, I am. And that's what becomes God's name in the Old Testament. It's Yahweh, which means I am. So this, for the disciples, was a clear statement of divinity. I am. And what does it mean that Jesus is I am? It means that there is no I was about him. That, that when Jesus says, I am, he is saying, I am the self-existent, always present, everlasting God. And you have to deal with me because I am. You see, one of the things, if we're reading this story right, that we have to understand is that whatever storm you're in today, whatever storm comes into your life, it pales in comparison to the power of Jesus. That in a moment, he stops the wind. And your storm, however formidable it might be, I mean, understand that Jesus is far more powerful. Now, that's comforting. It's also scary, isn't it? Because you can't control a God like that, you know? I mean, the fact, I'll tell you, I'm disturbed that Jesus didn't calm the storm sooner. Like, why do you have to have this whole lesson with Peter and the faith? It's like, just get out there and calm the storm, and that's what I want him to do in my life. And he didn't always cooperate. But how comforting is that? That Jesus is in complete control of the storms of our lives. Now, the, the, you know, the story goes on and it tells us the response of the disciples. It says, those who were in the boat worshiped him, saying, truly, you are the son of God. This is the first time in Matthew that the disciples worship. It's the first time they confess the identity of Jesus. Say, you're the son of God. You know, six chapters earlier when they're in the boat, they say, who is this? Who is this that calms the winds and the waves? And then six chapters later on the same lake, they answer their own question. They say, this is the son of God. And so clearly one of the things we see in this text, Jesus, he transforms our hearts through the storm. You know, often that's when Jesus does his best work. It's in the storm. Job, he says, at the end of Job, my eyes had heard of you, but now, my ears had heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. And that's what happens in the storm. Listen, we come to know the God who is I am in a deeper way. And rarely do we get that experience apart from storms. And why is that? I love what Barbara Brown Taylor says. She says this. She says, we do not lose control over our lives. What we lose is the illusion that we were ever in control in the first place. You see, you can go through life living in this illusion that you're in control. 
that whatever boat you've built for yourself on your career, on your family, on your bank account, you can, you can feel like I'm in control and this is holding me up. And then a storm happens and that boat begins to sink and you realize how insufficient it is and you're driven to the only hope there is the only anchor, which is Christ. See, God pursues us often through storms. Now, <clears throat> what a remarkable story. You know, Jesus, he walks on water. We, we see all the ways that he enters into the, to the lives and, and, and calls out the faith of the disciples. What's the point, you know, for you and for me? It, it's simply this. I think this is what the author is trying to get to us, it's that Jesus is Lord of the storm. And not just the storm as in the weather, he's Lord of your storm, the chaos that comes into your life. Jesus, listen, he knows where you are in the storm. He comes to you in the storm like he did to the disciples. He's in complete control over the storm and he uses the storm to transform our hearts. So how do we apply this? I mean, the, the, the takeaway, it's not complex, but it's difficult. And it, it's simply this. It's trust that Jesus is Lord of the storm for you and for me. You know, I, Brennan Manning, um, an author that, that I love, he, he once had an encounter with a spiritual director in his life. And the spiritual director said to him this. He, he said, Brennan, you don't need any more insights into the faith. You have enough to last you 300 years. Your most urgent need is to trust what you already believe. You know, for, for some of us today, maybe we do need to believe for the first time that Jesus is Lord of the storm, that he's powerful enough, that he loves us in it. But there's many of us today that believe that. I mean, you could articulate that. But do you trust that? And Jesus is Lord of the storm, and not just the storm, but your storm, the chronic illness in your life, the financial hardship, the difficult relationship. I mean, whatever is going on, that he is Lord, that he knows where you are and that he's powerful, he'll meet you in it, provide what you need. You see, I know for me, I, I can say and I can even preach that Jesus is Lord of the storm. I don't know if I really believe that. And I feel like I've had more anxiety in my life the last six months than I ever have. And part of that, and there's a variety of reasons, but part of it for me is Jesus inviting me to trust. And, I, and I'll tell you, there's, there's a part of my heart that doesn't. See, where, where are you today? I'm convinced this text, God is saying, trust me in the storm and with the storm. And the, the painting I showed you at the beginning by Rembrandt, it's a painting called Storm on the Sea of Galilee. It's a fascinating painting. And, and part of what's fascinating is all the different responses to the storm and to Jesus in the storm. You, you have a guy who's at the top of the boat. 
You know, he's the leader. It looks like he's kind of looking up and out to see what's coming. You've got three guys trying to fix the main sail. They're trying to hold the boat together. You've got one guy trying, I mean, he's hanging on for dear life to a rope or a cable. Um, there's another guy who's terrified. He's on the other side of the boat. He's crouched down. He's, he's anxious. There's a guy who's sick, and uh, he looks like he's throwing up. Over the, That's how some of us feel in the storms of life. Um, and then there's a couple guys who are angry at Jesus. They're yelling at him. They're saying, Jesus, don't you care that we're going through this? There's another guy. Um, he, he looks like, to me, he's just shut down emotionally. It's like, this is stressful. I've checked out. Uh, there's a guy at the front who's, who's holding the tiller. He's trying to maintain control. And then there's a guy who is worshiping Jesus. And you have to really look to see it. But it's almost as if he, in that moment, he's fixed his eyes on Christ, and he's saying, Jesus, I trust you. Now, I want to ask you, which of these characters in the boat most describes where you are right now? Which one of these people describe the state of your heart right now? It's, it, it's so fascinating. You know, Rembrandt painted 13 disciples in the boat, not 12. Why? Because he wanted the viewer to put themselves into the painting. To imagine, okay, which one of these people am I? So which one are you? I mean, where are you? How are you responding to the storms of your life? Are you trying to fix it? Are you trying to control? Are you throwing up? Are you terrified? Where are you? And I, and I think the invitation for all of us it's to trust. It's to trust the Lord of the storm. That he is bigger than anything you could ever go through. And he's with you in it. He's with you. And the reason we know that Jesus is with us in the storm is because he went into the ultimate storm on our behalf. In Matthew 8, you know, earlier, whenever the disciples are freaking out that there's water spilling into the boat, and they say this to, to Jesus, they say, don't you care that we're perishing? Maybe you felt that way. I've felt that way at times in my life. God, don't you care about what's going on? And the ironic thing, when you look at that, that moment, is that Jesus cared more than they could have ever imagined. Because he was in the boat with them. I mean, Jesus left heaven, was born in the dirt. He lived a life of being misunderstood and lonely and mistreated. And he died on the cross to be close to them. And they're saying, Jesus, don't you care? And he's saying, yes, I care more than you could ever know. And so for you and for me today, listen, there's a lot in our storms that we don't know. We don't know. Why our storms are always there, we don't know how long they're going to last, but we do know that Jesus is with us, that we're not alone. He is in the boat, and he's in your boat, and, and maybe you're saying, I don't feel that way. It feels like I'm all alone, but that's not true. He is with you. 
and he will see you through, just like he did with these disciples. And again, the reason we know is because he went into the storm for us on our behalf. So in light of that, what John Newton says, he says, with Christ in the vessel, we can smile at the storm. For you and for me, with Christ in the vessel, we can smile at the storm. Not because we're always going to have a peaceful, easy feeling, but because he's with us. And at the end of the day, at the end of the day, no storm lasts forever. And we will be with him into eternity. So will you pray with me? Father, we're just so grateful that you are the Lord of the storm. Would you help us, God, to know what faith in you looks like in the midst of the storms of life. And, and I know that for some today, they feel like they're there and the waves are crashing in and there's others maybe who aren't, right, aren't there right now, uh, but they will be or they know folks who are struggling. So God, would you help us through your spirit to know what it looks like to trust you? Thank you for this story. Thank you for disciples like Peter, who, who doubt. And for those of us today who doubt, who, who struggle to say, Jesus, are you really with me in the storm? Are you really in control? Would you give us comfort and would you help us to know that living by faith, that we truly can trust and believe and even walk on water because you're with us. So God, help us, we pray. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.